Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Fascinating Nouns. Now, this is still the galaxy's most trusted source for incredible people, places, things, and ideas. Now as we arrive at this curious nexus point, we explore the strange, unusual, offbeat, bizarre, intriguing, interesting, invigorating, quirky, quaint, quizzical, weird, wild, wacky, the fun, the frivolous, and the fringe, and all the spaces in between. I'm your host, Daniel J. Glenn. So I have sitting with me right now, and by sitting I mean on the phone, Maddie Rotman, and you helped me produce this episode, did you not? I did indeed. Don't even try to deny the accusations, Maddie. You had a, a <laughs> you had a, a very important role in this in this particular episode. Uh, you want to tell me a little bit about it? So this is Kayla Drescher, right? Yes, this is Kayla. So um, I stumbled upon Kayla because she had been performing at the Magic Castle in Los Angeles. I think she might be one of the few women who is in the magic profession. So she um, she caught my eye because I wanted to see what that was like to work in a profession that was kind of dominated by men. So um, that's how it started. What are your feelings on magic? Did you like magic going into this? Did you learn something new? Um, what's your history with magic? Do you have any connection to it? Give me something. Um, I do have a connection to magic. Um, my dad is actually a little bit of a magician. Well, I didn't know that. Um, well, this is a fun fact. So he used to, uh, he's an anesthesiologist and, um, he did the epidurals for pregnant women, um, while they were giving birth. And in order to kind of help them relax, he would do magic tricks for them. He would say, for my next trick, I'm going to pull a baby out. (laughs) (laughs) Or he would, yeah. A little bit of that, maybe with some sleight of hand so they can distract them when they're pushing. <laughs> or that, yeah, or that. Uh, so how many times <laughs> How many times has he pulled a quarter out of your ear? So many times. And I used to beg him to tell me how he did it. Um, now I can kind of... Actually, he hasn't performed for me in a long time. I don't know, maybe I should ask him to perform some magic for me and I can see if I, if I know how he does his tricks or not. So how do you feel about his neglectful magic behavior towards you? Is this, are we opening up a deeper issue here, or is this very trivial and superficial? Oh, man. It might be. I might. Uh, I mean, who knows? If he, had, if he had continued to be doing magic for me, then maybe I would be a magician, too. Maybe I would be like Kayla. That is an excellent point. Maybe you would have been Kayla Drescher, and we'd be talking to you right now instead of Kayla. Exactly. Exactly. I'll let my dad know. Well, I think that that is a great segue into this wonderful interview you set up. Maddie, I want to thank you for producing this and finding Kayla to be on the show and to be herself a fascinating noun. Thank you. Well, Kayla Drescher, thank you so much for being on the show. Well, thanks for having me. So you are a young magician. Yes. Now, here's what I like about it. There are a lot of people would say, why don't you talk to a guy who's been around and knows all the tricks and everything? But the thing I love about you is not only that you're female, which is a rarity in yes. the magic world, yes. but as a newer magician, uh, professionally, you've been mm-hmm. doing it three years, right? Mm-hmm. Th- you're only new once, you know? So you're kind of like, there's, a, there's an optimism um, and a drive that I think doesn't exist with people who've kind of seen it all before. Um, do you think that's true? I think it can be. Uh, magic is one of those professions that you get so much better the more experience you have. So 
Uh, at my level currently, I wouldn't say, uh, you know, I'm certainly not a great magician. I hope to be one day, but uh, it's one of those things that it's going to take a really long time to be at that level. But that also means that it's possible um, for people to get stale and for people to, mm. you, you know, not be as fresh and entertaining and uh, or even as excited about performing as I am now. So I know that happens a lot. And uh, the people that tend to stick around and have the best careers are the ones who know how to make it fresh and keep it that way for forever and ever. So that's what I'm going for. <laughs> but <laughs> I like the freshness that I currently have. I, I think it's great. Thank I you. I love the freshness. <laughs> uh, so how did you get into magic? I know a question that, you know, you've been asked a million times, but magic is for me, it holds a wonder, a childhood wonder. Mm. So I never want to know anything about it. So Great. I don't want to ask, like, I can't ask you magic-related questions. Sure. But I've always wondered, like, why do other people find it as fascinating as I do? That's a great question. Uh, so I first started doing magic. I was seven years old. I grew up in Connecticut, and my father and I happened to wander into a magic shop just randomly one day. Like and in I, Gremlins? Uh, sure. <laughs> They I don't want, get that reference. Oh, they, I'm going to go with it. <laughs> oh, no. They wander into a magic store and... Um, it changes their lives. Yeah, they find a gremlin. Fantastic. So yeah. just like gremlins. <laughs> oh, man. Go on. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> sorry. Uh, I didn't find a gremlin, but I did mm. find a rope trick. So we'll say that was my gremlin. Sure, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I just really liked it. Performed on my school talent show. I'd been doing lots of performing arts things, dance and... Uh, acting and all of that basically from the age of three or four uh, so a total of about four years of my life so far uh, at this point and so uh, I just really liked performing and being on stage and it just happened that magic was a really cool outlet for me to perform through and I liked it the best I found it fit me very well and fit my brain very well in terms of thinking both creatively and logically mm -hmm. so that's sort of what uh, drew me to it but I also really love the comedy aspect and the playing with the audience aspect and that's what I try to do in real life anyway so it just kind of sort of all fit together um, but magic I think is generally fascinating to people because uh, most people are one of two ways is one is that they just love the awe of magic and the impossibleness of things and then other people really need to figure it out they're very logical they're very analytical and I perform a lot for corporations like IBM and engineers and things and they hate me because uh, they don't know how <laughs> anything's being done right. and so that's really fun too and so I don't know it kind of depends on your interest in magic but I find the people that uh, don't like magic are the ones that just need to know how it's done mm -hmm. so I like how you kind of enjoy just the awe of it so that's great <laughs> well you know I'm, I'm kind of a strange person in that right. I am I am very logical okay uh, like I love knowing how things are done I mean I work in the film industry and one of the things you learn in film school is how to do the magical tricks that appear on screen mm -hmm. like yep. how to make the camera look a certain way and do you know special effects all that stuff so you in a way they're magicians and I imagine that the same like uh, skills of misdirection and uh, you know fooling the audience trick because really what people do in magic which blows my mind from a scientific standpoint is that you basically are convincing people that the laws of science and physics don't exist anymore mm -hmm. and that you can circumvent them somehow through unnatural forces i think uh i'm going to amend your statement slightly okay. um from my perspective i i'm trying to uh, show people that impossible things can be possible and I think that that can transcend past just a card trick or something floating and mm -hmm. uh, defying gravity. Because uh, I find a lot of people will say, oh, I can't 
do that because that's impossible. Like I can't, uh, I'm just going to come up with silly things. Like I can't play golf or I can't get that job I've always wanted. But mm-hmm. uh, I like to go the route of showing that the impossible can be possible. Like mm-hmm. I thought it was impossible for me to do magic as a career. Yeah. Uh, but it's going well. So hopefully that continues. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think that it's not just about trying to convince people that uh, you can defy logic. But it's uh, showing people that things can happen, even though they think they can't. Does that make sense? No, I totally agree with that. The thing that um, I guess to to kind of just continue this conversation, yeah, which I it. love, to me, um, like for example, um, if so, what you're saying is that the impossible is possible. Mm-hmm. I like that idea, but it's not the way in which it's presented. Yes, and, and meaning that. When you take a card and you have someone sign a card, I've seen David Blaine do this trick. Sure. So you sign, to, you sign a card, you take a deck of cards, you throw them at a glass wall, mm-hmm. and then the card appears on the other side of the wall, the right. signed card. Yep. That's amazing. Yeah. Now what you're led to believe is that he has somehow, through the forces of supernatural powers, taken that card and pushed it through the, the, the solid glass, and it is sticking, it's, it's, it's defying gravity, it's defying the molecular structure of the glass, and is now adhering to the other side. That's not what happens. There's a trick involved, right? It's an illusion. So basically, what you can te- what more what you're teaching people is that there is there are more than one there's more than one way to do what you want to do, sure. and that maybe I can't move the forces of physics that <laughs> that someone yeah. has put into play, but I can get around them. I can circumvent them in some way. Yeah, um, which is really the same message, but it's not so much like I can fly, but I can right. make people believe that I can fly. Yeah, uh, agreed. Um, and I think too, uh, different magicians have different ways of presenting things. So there are. A lot of magicians that really like the concept of fooling people mm-hmm. of um, kind of one-upping their audience and that's not for me that's not what I think magic should be uh, for me I like to sort of share uh, a story through magic mm. and then like you said kind of show uh, this ability of like well there's more than one way to kind of get things done yeah right and and sometimes it's delving into the spaces in our mind that we don't know are there yeah. uh, and that comes with telling people to look over here while doing something secretive, right. you know, uh, opposite. And so I think that that's, that's the cool aspect mm. of being like, okay, well, you think that there's only one way to do this and that the world can only work one way, but actually there are so many different ways to do it. Right. Does that make sense? Totally. Yeah. I mean, because there's, there's the outcome you want is possible. Yes. It's just may not be possible in the way in which you're going through correct. it. Correct. Yeah, correct. Uh, and I like, I like that. Now, along those same lines, I'm going to ask you a question. Great. And I know you're going to think it's silly, but do I it. have to ask. Because <laughs> I mentioned David Blaine. Now, I personally love David Blaine. Yeah, a lot of people too. are on the fence with him. But I, I actually love him. I do like Chris Angel. But the question I'm going to ask doesn't apply to him because I know he has a team of people who create these grand illusions. Sure. Same thing with David Copperfield. But there are guys like David Blaine, and I just saw this documentary on Ricky Jay. Yeah. And there are guys where I am. they convince me a very logical person, you know, I think I'm relatively smart, but I'm convinced at times that they have made a deal with the devil and that they actually possess magical powers. So for example, um, like I'll just take your bottle trick, the bottle Great. cap trick that you do, cool. that, that David Copperfield gave big thumbs up yeah, for, which we'll, get to, which we'll get to in a second. <laughs> cool. Now when I watched it and I've seen tricks like that, now I know there are techniques, I know that there are techniques that make that possible. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to do them. I don't really want to know how, but I know the general idea. So I'm like, that's possible, but it's really cool. 
there are things that David Blaine would do on his specials that even through, like even the glass thing, like that's on the border of like, how is that even, I don't even understand like how that's possible. But I genuinely believe, and I'm not embarrassed to admit it, I genuinely believe that they've, there was a crossroad demon that they talked to and sold their soul. Is that possible? And can you tell me if it was? I think anything's possible. Uh, and that's where I'm going to leave that. <laughs> okay. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I, that's great. I love that you believe that. Because I think that that might be his goal. It uh, is, totally. Yeah. You got me. Yeah. He's a super smart guy, too. So I, I believe that he would be very happy to know that you think that he <laughs> sold his soul. Uh, it's great, too, because magic is very much uh, a team art sometimes and so uh, I, I know David Blaine has a giant team of people that help and mm. Copperfield as well and Chris and uh, you know everybody has a team everybody brings a different aspect to that and so uh, David could have said guys I really want to have this trick where somebody selects a card and I throw it on a wall and it sticks to the wall mm. and then somebody goes why don't it why don't we have it stick to a window and somebody says mm. well why don't we have it stick to the other side of a window and so it's th this really cool you know it kind of melds that way and everybody comes uh, into play, okay. uh, including potentially that devil he sold the soul to. Right. So you just never know. I mean, <laughs> who, who knows who's, who's on his team? Uh, so great. I hope that you continue to believe that. I, I do. Well, <laughs> and it's kind of like a writer's room. Like when yeah. you talk about like how people make scripts. For like sure. There's, and on a good team, that's exactly what happens. Exactly. You riff on each other. Uh, yeah, you know, there's, so are there any tricks that like you hear or see let me rephrase that. When you see a trick on stage with a magician that you emulate or that you really enjoy watching or that you want to be like, do you like look at the trick? Are you ever fooled? And if so, do you ever figure out how to, knowing what you know, using the tools that you know, can you deconstruct it and rebuild it? Like reverse engineer a trick? I think that uh, when I watch uh, a magic effect happening, uh, a routine happening, I think there are one of three ways my brain could go. Mm. One is that I've seen this trick done before. Uh, I, it might be done exactly the same way as I've seen before, or it might be that somebody puts a really cool presentation, cool spin on it, mm. adds a, an interesting move or difference to the effect that I can appreciate. Although I know how the technique is, I know what the technique is to have it done. Mm -hmm. uh, it's still cool to see people's different spins and presentations and uh, comedic value or dra dramatic value on their routine. Uh, the second is that somebody could do something and I then will go back into my own head after I watch it and deconstruct it and go, oh, okay, now I remember when this happened here and then their hand looked this way here. Mm. Got it. Okay, now I can do it. So I don't know it exactly uh, at the time of seeing it, but it can I can deconstruct it and figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then every once in a while, there's something that I see that I love how it's done. I don't. Ha I have no clue what how it was done, mm -hmm. and I'll just leave it right at that. And I won't try to deconstruct it. I won't try to figure it out. I'll just kind of have that moment of like, oh yeah, like magic can look. This is how magic looks to people that aren't me. <laughs> and that's really fun. Because yeah. when you do it for so long, you yeah. lose that mystery. Uh, and it's, so it's cool to occasionally have that feeling again and be like, oh, yeah. this is what it feels like. This yeah. is fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Let's keep going. This is yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, and for me, one of those is uh, Copperfield's flying illusion mm. where he flies on the stage. 
I never want to know how that's done. Mm. Uh, and I, I have, you know, I could probably sit here and figure out small details, never any of it, you know, never completely, but uh, I just don't want to because it's so cool yeah. that I just want to really believe he flew and I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with thinking that he can fly and I'm happy. <laughs> Maybe he can. Maybe he can. Uh, I'm okay with it. So I'm going to ask you a question you promised to answer truthfully. Great. Oh, God. Okay. Do you? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So I was watching the Ricky Jay documentary. Great. Now, in this documentary, he's so he lives in L.A., mm-hmm. and he was going to a martial arts uh, class. Unrelated, no one knew he was a magician. Sure. So what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you the trick, and you tell me if in your brain it seems possible. Great. That's it. Okay. Okay. That's all I'm gonna ask. Okay. okay. <laughs> so he goes and he's at a bar, and so basically he asks for two one dollar bills, mm-hmm. and he takes the two one dollar bills and from each end folds them until his fingers touch, like a Lady in the Tramp. Mm-hmm. Then he yanks them apart, and it's a two dollar bill. The two ones have disappeared. And now there's a two dollar bill, and he hands it to the person. Now that's a cool trick, but if you, I know that if you're doing it in a bar and you're prepared to do it, you have the preparation. Whatever you need to do that trick, you have with you. So this guy was, the, the martial arts instructor was obsessed with this trick. And so he was, he really wanted to know how it was done. And Ricky was like, no, I'm not going to, I'm going to tie it, tie it, tie it. So him and a group of guys, while they're in, while Ricky's in the shower after a session, they confront him and say, do the trick again. And they give him two $1 bills. And Ricky takes the $2 $1 bills and he looks at him and he's like, I can't, like, how could you guys do this to me? Like, I'm here, like, you know, this can't. And while he's talking to them, telling him how he can't do the trick, he's folding it in front of them and his fingers touch. And he pulls him apart, and it's a two-dollar bill, and he hands it to him, and doesn't say a word. And I don't think he ever went back to, <laughs> you know, ever went back to the session again to show the illusion. But the man's naked in a shower, right? Two-dollar bills are rare enough, <laughs> like much less when you're in the nude. Is that trick possible? You would be very surprised how prepared magicians are on a daily basis. <laughs> uh, That's a good answer. Yeah. Is I, that true though? No, seriously, is that, a, is that possible? Is that yeah. within the realm of possibility? Oh yeah. Really? That is, that is way too real of a possibility in, in my mind. Uh, again, I think if you walk into the Magic Castle at any given point, uh, members there are ready to do 45 minutes of magic. Uh, <laughs> right there. Right there. Right now, as we're sitting here in my living room, uh-huh. uh, w- with uh, I'm not even really holding anything. Um, I could do I could do 20 minutes for you currently, right now. <laughs> which is that's just how. Challenge. Right? <laughs> yeah. And we'll begin. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's really it, it's very we're very prepared because as soon as magic is one of those professions that when you say oh I'm a magician people automatically want to see something mm-hmm. uh, as opposed to like, oh, I'm a dentist. Oh, could you look at my two? Like, it's not something yeah. that, right? It's not a common <laughs> thing. It's like, oh, I'm a podcast host. Oh, cool. Could you like record yeah, me Could right you interview now? me right now? Yeah. I-, I wish I got that oh, all the time. Right. <laughs> that would be really easy for you. I would be amazing. Um, although you might get some real characters in that aspect. Love that though. Um, that would be really fun. <laughs> that would be a really fun compilation episode. Of, like, these are all the people that asked me to interview them. On the them. street? Oh, oh God, don't do that. No, That's that would be we're especially, in LA. Especially here. That's terrifying. Uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's it's one of those things that you just have to always be prepared and ready to go. Uh, and so I totally believe that Ricky Jay, because he's brilliant, was yeah. in a shower, ready to go. For he could have probably done anything in that moment. Wow. Right. I mean, that kind of honestly, like, if you're telling the truth and you promised me you would, I am. That like blows my mind. I mean, really. I don't ever, I don't ever want to know. There, so here's with me, 
there are very few things in the world that give me a sense of wonder. Yeah. Uh, psychics that work. Cool. Actually, I've seen people do things and say things that they couldn't have known. Okay. That blows my mind. Great. Magicians who can do the same thing, kind of, both of those people in my mind bend reality, bend my reality. I never ever want to lose that. Great. Then just, keep my, doing what you're doing. <laughs> that's my yeah. commitment to excellence. <laughs> that's to awesome. You. I love it. Uh, so <laughs> now we're talking about tricks. Let's talk about the first rope trick that you picked up. I want to hear what this rope trick was. I'm going to share my first story with you. I love it. Uh, when I was uh, a wee little tyke, Fisher Price made a magic set. Mm-hmm. And it was a little, it was a black box, and it had, does this sound familiar to you? Yeah, for sure. So it had like three colored doors on the top, had a magic wand, um, and basically you would do like disappearing ball tricks, and you did like magic with like a wand, but the stuff was, it's all behind this black box, you're moving levers, it's more mechanical than actual, than technique, really, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, So that was my first experience, but I loved the idea of being able to fool people. With your rope trick, tell me about it, and then what was the first experience when you looked at adults and had that power over them to like hold their attention? Great. Um, I was always someone that, one, was very curious and wanted to learn everything ever. Like, I loved school. I was one of the only mm. kids that woke up and was like, I'm going to school! Ah, I was <laughs> so happy. Uh, I loved learning. I still love, like, I'm very observant and try to take in a lot of mm. things, and um, I love seeing people's reactions and how people work and um, so for me magic made sense and the first rope trick I ever saw first real trick I ever saw in this magic shop was he took a piece of rope uh, and then cut it in half and put it back together Mm. and in my mind I'm like I need to know like I have to yeah Uh, and just my seven-year-old brain was like teach me things and so he taught it to me which was really cool and we went to this magic shop for lessons and uh, I just really loved it uh, and it was cool learning how things work and, you know, the mechanical things as well. The, mm. Even that is really interesting how all of that works. Um, and so I loved performing in my school talent show because after the show, everybody would come up to you. Mm. I'm like, that was so cool. You were so fun. And I'm like, oh, wow. I could be cool yeah. <laughs> uh, through magic, which is really random, but let's yeah. do it. And I just performed so much after that. I loved going. I found a mentor who taught me uh, everything. And uh, there was a group of magicians called the Society of Young Magicians in Connecticut. Sounds clandestine. It's terrifying. <laughs> um, it's a bunch of 7 to 17-year-old children doing card tricks for each other. And just learning to perform for them. and. Automatically, when there's a cute kid in a sparkly suit on stage, adults pay attention. Mm. But then when they can do cool magic, it's even better. Yeah. Uh, And I started realizing that through magic, you could make people really happy. Mm. uh, And you could make people who are having kind of a really bad day uh, and or a bad life kind of smile in that moment. Sure. It's possible. Uh, And so that was really powerful for me, learning from an early age that just a little rope trick could really brighten someone's day. Uh, exponentially and so that's what really drew me to it so when you were in the society of young magicians Mm -hmm. am I saying that correctly Mm -hmm. I I was reading this article uh, it's amazing that you were published about when you were like 10 years old God, you really did research. I do. I go. I do. I scrub people's history. I don't even remember Uh, that. So the the articles about 
a bunch of kids and there was a card trick for sale and there was like a bidding war yeah. on who would learn who wow. explained this to me. You went back far. Yeah, you um, look out. Shoot. <laughs> no one is safe. This is fantastic. You know more about me than I remember. Um, I remember it, I, if I remember it correctly, that was, a, so they have auctions, magic auctions, as they do for auctions for anything. Mm. Basically people bring in things they don't want anymore and uh, kids and families or anybody bids on them. And there was one kid who just really wanted something. I don't even remember what it was. And he was devastated that he that somebody else was racking up the, the price. Uh, but eventually that other person backed down and the kid got the trick. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think I was there being like, I'm so happy that little Jimmy <laughs> got the trick he wanted. Because he'll good he's PR. like a really good magician. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that was me at the age of eight or nine. Um, so yeah, that was that. That was the group, that group of young magicians that was really fantastic it's we, people really did bid on tricks though. yeah it happens all the time they have uh they have things like that at the castle or at different clubs around uh everywhere everybody has a magic auction uh and it's really cool because then you get to see you get to experience old really old things that people think are junk mm-hmm. but then you can take them and they inspire you in a way that you didn't think uh, for example i bought this one trick at an auction for like three dollars that's a salt shanker um and you can borrow a small object like a ring or a coin and have them sign it and then the coin or the object vanishes and appears in this salt shaker and the salt shaker it doesn't look like a salt shaker it looks like a film canister which i despise Uh, uh. but it's now (laughs) one of those things that's like in a notebook ready to be put in a show eventually right. whenever I can think about it. It's one of those ideas that I keep coming back to and I'm super inspired by. Just this little thing I bought at an auction for 2 or $3. Huh. So it's really cool. They have some really awesome stuff at Magic Auctions. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy because the next question that leads me into is like, how do you learn this stuff? Because basically, self-taught isn't the word, mm. but you kind of, you have to pursue your own education mm-hmm. and you have to do your own training. There's no college level. I mean, even clowns have college, um, refer to my previous podcast, but but magicians don't really have, there's no like magicians college. No, I know? wish. So how does that work? Like, how do you learn and like all that? Magic is very much a mentorship art as uh, well. So okay. when I was seven, I had a mentor. He was very old. He was about 80 when I was seven. So I got super lucky because he had so yeah. much knowledge to share. Um, and so I was taught by him. And there are magic conventions. We kind of talked about it before, but there are magic conventions probably every weekend of the year all over the world where you can go and watch magicians perform or lecture, uh, talk to them, jam with them, which is you know just sitting around a table doing tricks for each other and mm. coming up with cool ideas. Uh, what's cool is that we have the Magic Castle just a few blocks away. Mm-hmm. And through the Magic Castle, I've met who uh, a group of magicians that have become my like core group of friends in L.A. And so we go out for coffee or they come over here or over there and we just talk magic or we just talk business or anything and we all help each other out. So it's very much, a like I said before, a, a team sport in a way. Mm. Um, but plus you also then have to seek out your own education as you mentioned so you have to own books and you have to uh, get dvds and you have to read the books not just own them Um, and you have to watch the dvds and you have to go see other magicians and uh, you have to pay attention to other art forms as well dance and theater uh, music and movies and television shows and anything that's entertainment Mm -hmm. you have to be able to understand why it's entertaining because everything will come together into magic magic isn't just magic as a 
as I think dance is a combination of movement and acting. Mm -hmm. uh, magic is a combination of movement, acting, magic, speaking, comedy. Mm -hmm. It's a combination of every single art form plus impossible right. things all smushed into one. <laughs> so it's the really, it's yeah, it's a little tough. Uh, plus then business. So like you have everything kind of smushed into this one art form. Yeah. Um, so it's important to kind of educate yourself on everything. Mm. Uh, well, let's, let's talk, so let's talk about the Magic Castle. Great. So this is something that I know about. I love the Magic Castle. It is like being, man, I don't even know how to describe as a as like a what do you call non-magic people muggles do you guys people. use that term? people so as a person yeah. in the magic castle it is a place of wonder um, because not only is it full of magicians doing crazy stuff all the time um, but this the building itself is very much like the Winchester Mystery House like there's you go up two flights of stairs to go down like there's it's kind of a strange building yeah um, very fun. So can you explain to someone, to p the people in the world, what is the Magic Castle and then what is the AMA? Because they kind of tie into each other. Sure. Um, so the Magic Castle is a, is a building. Uh, that <laughs> Thank you. That's the difference. Like AMA uh, is the, the business and the uh, Magic Castle is a building, if that it. sort of makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, like a headquarters. Yeah. Um, so the Magic Castle is a magician's club in mm. a way. And basically, it's black tie only. You have to be wearing uh, heels and, uh, you know, guys who have to wear a tie and a jacket and nice shoes, no jeans, no sneakers, dresses, all of the above. Very, very fancy. Um, and it's one of the only places left in L.A. that still requires that dress code, mm -hmm. which is really cool. Uh, and it's an exclusive club. You can only get in if you're a member or if you know a member or performer. Mm -hmm. And, or like you get a pass from a member or performer. And basically you go, there's food, there's drink, but there's also multiple magic shows happening all of the time. So there are different rooms where you kind of wait in a small line and then go into the room. You sit and watch a, a anywhere between a 15 minute to a 45 minute show, depending on the room you're in. Mm -hmm. uh, and there are also multiple bars and two of the bars feature magic shows on certain days. So there's one in the basement and then there's one uh, that I often perform at called the WC Fields Bar. And uh, basically you come and you sit and you can drink and eat and watch magic, which is awesome. And then throughout the castle, there are all different little things, little magical things happening. So there's a creepy photo booth. There's a piano playing ghost named Irma. She's fantastic. Say hello. Uh, and it's really cool. But the thing is that you can only get in uh, if you know a member. And there are two different types of memberships. There's the magician membership where you have to audition. It's a very serious process. You have to get sponsors who are already members to vouch for you. Uh, and then you ideally audition and become a member. And they used to have, they don't have it so much anymore, but an associate membership, which is you don't have to be a magician, but you get to pay a lot of money and become a member of the castle and kind of go anytime you want. Uh, but they don't have that membership anymore. Uh, and it's the thing, the thing I love about the Magic Castle, it is, it's the world headquarters for this, right? There aren't really places like this. I mean, there this is very unique. Been, it's super unique. There are places similar uh, but not nearly as prestigious or exclusive mm. around the world. And there are, p there are places that have tried to do it, uh, but it just hasn't worked. It, it's not the community that, you know, the places that people have tried it in is not the community that Hollywood is or mm. L.A. is. And uh, so the fact that it's this weird mansion that sits on top of a hill and people drive by and are like, what is that beautiful lit mm. up place where there are so many people dressed in suits? 
I have to know. And yeah. that's how they sort of, you know, people are so intrigued by it, which is really cool. Uh, there, are, there are other similar places, uh, you know, all over the world that do show, you know, regular magic shows or kind of, a, in a, you know, you have to dress up for, for things like that. Uh, but nothing so prestigious and unique and exclusive as the Magic Castle here. So it's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, especially if you're a magician yeah. and you're here, like that's amazing. It's it's awesome to be able to to drive and or walk four blocks to see magicians from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and normally you would have to go to a magic convention or travel to the locations these magicians live in. Uh, one of my favorite magicians uh, lives in Germany. And I got to see him perform here. Oh, wow. I didn't have to travel to Germany right. <laughs> to see him. I got to see him here. Uh, and same. There are a lot of, I really love the Spanish school of magic. And mm. I get to see a lot of the Spaniard performers come here and perform. And that to me is awesome because I don't have to really go very far to right. see the world's best magicians. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> what, a, what a great deal. Yeah, that yeah. is amazing. <laughs> uh, it's like the Lazy Man's College. Just walk down it's the street. Fantastic. That's incredible. Yep. Uh, so now, how would you? Since you brought this, this, you just brought this up. I didn't know this was a thing. Are there different styles of magic in different regions of the world, and how would you describe them? Okay, so <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of different schools of magic. Mm. Uh, the American school of magic is kind of a combo of all different things. It's very technique-driven. Uh, I'm gonna name a name that you probably have never heard of, but uh, Di Vernon was a big guy who kind of made the American School of Magic what it is in terms of uh, very technique driven, very card magic, you know, very sleight of hand driven. Um, Divernon was a big guy at the Magic Castle. And the Spanish School of Magic is uh, about controlled chaos in a way. It's more, through the entire act, you think it's a mess and you think that they might be messing up or they have no control over what's going on. But the ending is exactly what, the, you know, mm. magically it's supposed to be. Mm. And so it's really impactful and power, and it's just mm. amazing. Um, the German school of magic is very presentational. It's very about uh, story and presenting magic through uh, theater and acting and music. And uh, that's sort of one of my favorite types of magic is that German school of magic because it's so interesting and different and every performer is really unique. Um, and the, they're all different. You know, there's, oh, the... The Japanese are just amazing. Uh, they all, every time there's an act that comes on stage and they have just a pin spot on them and they do a lot of like fancy card moves, mm-hmm. you always know that it's like Japanese, Korean. Uh, they have a very unique style of magic, which is cool to see as well. So it's cool to see all these different types of theories and, and how a magician should be mm-hmm. and kind of learn through all of them and take what you like about each style and then uh-huh. put it into one. Uh-huh. Uh, and so I think studying all of the different schools is good because, then, you know, you just don't want to stick with one. Um, so I'm definitely not an American style of magic performer. Uh, I would say I'm more along the lines of the Spanish and German style because I like the presentational and that controlled chaos type uh-huh. idea. So it's important to study all the different schools. Uh, but it's awesome to be able to see all those different performers and uh, understand where everybody's coming from. Yeah, I mean, like other disciplines that have been around for a long mm-hmm. time, there are lots of voices. And in order to, especially in America, in order to make it um, a lucrative business, you have to be either the loudest voice or the most unique voice. Yeah. Uh, so how do you cut through all that? Like, how would you define your unique voice? That's a great question. Uh, my 
voice, my show, my my uh, presentation of magic is I love the interaction with audiences and a lot of people are always looking for a very interactive show where they can see their coworkers or family and mm. friends on stage, a part of it. Um, every show I do is so different because it's so driven by the audience. Uh, so although I have a backbone of the show, moments will happen that will never happen in another, in another show mm. because the audience reacts or acts differently on stage. Mm. And that's really important. So that's what creates those long lasting memories for, for the client and for the audience when somebody comes up and does something silly, like knocks over the table or says something really dumb that I can then respond to. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that I really like that presentation um, and, and that aspect. So that's what makes me really different is I'm super interactive and super, uh, I go with the flow a lot in terms of improvisation responding to the audience. Um, I also, not to play upon it, but in terms of if it were me and three other magicians going up for a show, there's a really good chance I'm the only woman. Mm-hmm. And so although I don't mention it, like, hey, I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a woman and uh, the other ones aren't. So right. you should go. I, I never do that. But oftentimes the client will uh, be for a company that is primary majority are men and they just finished an eight hour long meeting part of a weekend of meetings and they just want some general entertainment so it's more entertaining for them to have a woman come in and and do good magic versus another guy so that those are things that uh, can be pinpointed by you know kind of the business side so I think both of those things are very important in terms of my unique voice and how Uh, magic is driven my magic is driven Uh, so I use both of those things Uh, not overly I don't like to play upon them as I said but just enough so that it makes me different yeah no that makes sense Uh, I've got a three-pronged question response Uh, the The first one I want to ask first because easiest one is there a heckler equivalent in the magic world for sure there's hecklers so what does that work um yeah evil people um they there are definitely hecklers there are definitely people that will um respond as as they do to comedians you know some a comedian will say something and then a heckler will try to add in a line to be funny right and uh, yeah you definitely get that in magic uh and then you also get the people that will respond by uh, you know you pull out a deck of cards and they go i've seen this one <laughs> there are like tens of thousands of card tricks. You no, know, you have almost an infinite uh, number, right? It's crazy. Um, but then you just respond accordingly. Uh, or people who will, they think they caught something, and maybe they did. It's possible uh, that I messed up, or that they happened to be at a bad angle of sorts, and so they catch something, and then they they feel that it's fun to shout it out. Uh, especially after a few glasses of wine, it becomes mm-hmm. a big thing. And so, again, that's one of those, you just respond accordingly. But, yeah, definitely. There are some it's, definitely good hecklers. You know, it's funny how people have that reaction. Maybe because I'm, I know comedians and I know mm. how hard they work uh, and I know performers. So I would never purpose, and I've, you know, done that myself, the sure. last thing you want. So I respect that. But if I saw a magician and I caught them doing something, I would more be upset that, like, I don't get to like exp- like I know I know yeah. you know what I mean like it'd be more dis- I wouldn't like point it out. to me it's not like why am I gonna point it out and make someone feel bad but that, that'd be more like oh man couldn't you be just a little bit better can I be at a different angle like yeah. <laughs> like it's just more disappointing yeah um, the other question so with your style I've read thing like maybe you've said this that you use everyday objects mm. so is that like a, a 
is that a purposeful thing just because it brings the common world into the magical realm or is it because it's easy to do when you're around someone to grab easy things? I think it's a little bit of everything. It's definitely easy for as you're around, uh, you know, just walking walking around or sitting down at dinner with somebody and somebody says, do something. Uh, well, I didn't bring a deck of cards, so I can't do anything. Shucks. Didn't bring my trick coins. Uh, I think it's just easier to say, all right, well, let's check out this sweet and low packet and mm -hmm. go from there. So that's what I like that power of being able to then say oh uh, what do you have in your purse ma'am you know grab something for me mm -hmm. and then you know taking something and doing something just with their object I think it's also uh, I think a lot of magicians underestimate the intelligence of their audience and now because of television and YouTube and people are smart and they educate themselves and they know about fake fingers and trick decks with mm. you know short cards and long cards, you know all decks of the seven of hearts. You know what I mean? So people know that those things exist. And a lot of times, I'll pull out a deck of cards that someone will say, "Where's that from? Where did you buy it in a magic shop? Mm. Is it a trick deck? Are they all the same card?" Mm. And I don't like that. I don't like starting off a show with that idea. Yeah. And so I think it's more fun to start off the show with a tissue or a box or a rubber band pencil you know things that people understand and know that even if I did make it tricky in a way mm. previous to, to coming to the show it doesn't seem like it can be because it's such a normal object right. uh, but also being able to take some somebody else's object and do something magical with it and then give it back to them yeah. is super powerful and now they're gonna remember that like she did something really cool with my lipstick <laughs> that I didn't think could happen with my lipstick. I'm right. gonna, oh, I'm gonna keep this forever. And whether they do or not, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just the idea that, like, oh, I made somebody's day just with their container of lipstick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why I focus on the ordinary objects of things. That's really fun. Yeah. Um, now let's talk about the female in a male-dominated profession. Great. Uh, which normally I like to skirt around, but I think it's important in this one. Yeah. Um, so. How does that, does it affect you regularly? Like when you go to these conventions, which I didn't even know existed, <laughs> what's it like, I mean, what's the percentages like there? Great. Um, first of all, I appreciate the way you, you asked that question because a lot of people always ask, what's it like to be a female magician? And that's oh. such a weird question. Yeah. Because then I would say, well, what's it like to be a male podcast host? Right. You know what I mean? Like there's no, there's no Incredible. answer to that question. Um, <laughs> yeah. That's great. I'm glad you like it. Um, <laughs> But I love the way you asked that. Uh, in terms, uh, certainly, the percentage of women in magic is very low. Um, going to a magic convention, there's certainly no line for the women's bathroom, which yeah. is awesome, right? <laughs> it's fantastic. Nowhere else in the world do you get that. Nope. Probably a few places, but maybe a gay bar, maybe. Good oh, there are a lot of women in gay bars. That's true. But I would imagine if you're going to make an argument on who has the least amount of women in a bathroom. I would put that on the list. Maybe an engineer's convention? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I'm really, I'm thinking too deep about this. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's it's rare. But there are also, uh, I think it's rare to see a professional woman in magic. Mm -hmm. um, there are a lot of hobbyists, and, and that doesn't mean that they're not good. Uh, it just, I'm strictly speaking that this is their career. Yeah. I think there are very few. Um, well, they also there were a lot of assistants to other magicians, sure. which which gave people the oh well, women when they do magic, they're only helping out the other guy. 
Yeah, as that's a definitely that's definitely a perception I encounter in terms of uh, when they see you at a convention and they say, "Oh, who are you here with? Mm. Who are you assisting? Who's your dad?" I got that a lot yeah. growing up. Like, oh, which which magician is your dad? Mm. Uh, which my dad doesn't do magic. He likes to think he can, <laughs> but he cannot. Um, and so it's definitely a perception, but I find it's only a perception in the magic community. Mm. Uh, I find very, very rarely do I get asked by uh, just a regular person, you know, oh, I didn't know a woman, a woman could do magic. Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know. And then it's only sort of after maybe thinking about it or... Um, thinking about the famous magicians they know, mm-hmm. they realize, oh, I, I don't know a famous uh, magician that's a woman, mm-hmm. and that's re- then then it starts to become a conversation in their head, and that we, you know I can talk mm-hmm. to them about. But I would n- I never prompt it. It's just it very rarely do regular people even think about that aspect. Yeah, um, which is cool. Uh, but in magic community, it's a very different perception. But that's because we've all there have been so few. Mm-hmm. There have been some really amazing, impactful, game-changing, historically, women in magic. Like, the first two magicians on television were women, Mm. um, which is amazing. And uh, people like Adelaide Herman toured the world as a magician. Del O'Dell. And uh, it's just fantastic on on how amazing women have been in magic history. Yeah. Um, And for me, it's a double-edged sword, I think, because... Uh, inter- like I mentioned before, getting a show is so- often easier for me because I do have that unique perspective mm. um, and that unique that unique performing style from being a woman. But in the magic community, it's tough uh, because women are often very segregated, uh, both by the men and the women, mm. which is uh, really interesting. I'm really weary of all women's groups and all women's shows uh-huh. because I think that they do the exact opposite of what they're intending to do. Uh-huh. So a lot of people are like, oh, yay, we, like an all-woman show. We're going to see the best of the best of the female magicians. I hate that term, by the way. Mm. Um, and it ends up being more of a segregation of like, okay, well, you're a woman, so you can perform here, mm-hmm. but you can't perform here. Right. Like you can perform in the all-women show and be part of the all-women's group, but you can't be a part of the normal group. Right. Um, and magic is such a you-have-to-prove-yourself type art as well. So already we're, we segregate ourselves into a corner mm-hmm. where then we, can't, we have no hope of busting out of that mm-hmm. group. So I try not to participate in those types of groups yeah. um, and discourage them often. I get their intent and I love the support and like, go girls type of atmosphere, mm. but then it, I think it ends up just doing way more bad than it can good. That makes perfect sense. Thank you. Yeah, I understand that. I've thought about it. Yeah. Well, there's, so there's a couple, what's interesting to me is that in there, I'm gonna name two professions that Do are it. mostly male dominated. Great. So poker players and magicians. Cool. There are lots of females doing both. And I think we live in such a sexist society. Mm. I mean, I think there's it's way better than it was in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. But I think in some respects, it's still like a strangely sexist society. And there's no reason why, there's no like biological reason or scientific reason why women couldn't do these things well. But sure. for some reason, there's a perception that they can't. But what's funny to me is in those two professions, poker playing and magician, uh, magicianing. That's fine, <laughs> do it. That's a great <laughs> Leave word. Leave it there. Uh, that, 
almost a, a woman would have an advantage because, A, there are so few of them. Yes. But I think because there are so many men in them and men are so easily distracted by sex appeal mm. and women that I've seen poker players use their femininity to their advantage. Sure. And I think that's great. Yeah. And I think magicians could do that as well, is my belief. I think that uh, it can be good. Um, if I were to take 10 women in magic, 10 of them would be the, uh, I would play, I would say they use this their sex appeal. Mm -hmm. uh, 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10. And to me, uh, I, I attribute it to a comedian can use the, the F word and bad words to get a very easy laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, not always, oh, yeah. right? And so it's, but it's an easy route. Yeah. Uh, and I think that pl playing that sex appeal as a woman in magic is an easy route mm. because now men are going to automatically be, and the audience is going to be really intrigued by you because you're beautiful. You might be showing a little extra skin in places. You're intriguing to look at, mm. but I certainly don't remember what you did as, as for magic. Got it. Uh, the thing is that I find a lot of women that do that, not all, I don't want to put them all into this category because uh, some of them are my very dear friends. Um, but <laughs> so I'm trying oh. to be nice to them. No, <laughs> yeah. Nothing I haven't said to uh, their yeah, faces, yeah. so yeah. don't you worry about yeah. it. Right, right, um, right. But I think that a lot of them w try to use their uh, their body as a mask for their lack of talent. Uh -huh. And that's where it becomes an issue for me, uh -huh. is that as opposed to working on your presentation and your skill and your your performance as a whole, it's easier to be sexy, mm -hmm. um, which is a weird statement because you wouldn't think like it's not easy for me. Mm -hmm. I just prefer like sweatpants and a t-shirt and call it a day. You know, right. that's that's me. But for a lot of women, it's easier to be sexy than it is to be good at magic. Yeah. And so, although I think you know, in terms of poker, uh, I think it, yes, it could definitely work as as the, to their advantage. And I think in magic, it works to an advantage that isn't an advantage for the whole. Mm. Does that make sense? Totally. Because in poker, you're trying to lure people to bet with you or right. make you think you don't know what you're doing and right. that you're just a dumb girl who's like, oh, my first day I'm playing poker. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people use that to their advantage. And the women who play poker are amazing. Yeah. I mean, there's the top world-class poker players who happen to be female. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really love the analogy that you did between um, using, you know, bl r playing blue is what they call mm -hmm. it. Um, you know this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do, I think that that's a really good analogy because it is such an easy way to get a laugh and it's not a quality laugh. Right. You know, it's just, and people who don't do that, you know, like Jerry Seinfeld's a perfect example of a guy who is a masterful comedian mm -hmm. who doesn't need to go blue. And when he does, it is really funny. But I don't think I've ever actually heard him like do that yeah. but he doesn't need to yeah you know these are the great comedians there's a lot of um i've done a lot of research a lot of thinking uh a lot of talking about this subject and uh, uh her name's holly mandel she's not a magician she's a comedian she was a teacher at the groundlings um groundling school of improv and comedy maybe you said uh, holly h-o-l-l-y yes it's very similar to how we Yes, not Howie. Yes, for sure. I'm not good friends with Howie Mandel. No, I, don't, uh, I don't know. Maybe. But you don't know. Don't know. That's <laughs> a good a good point. I'm not though. Okay. Uh, now <laughs> no. I know. Holly. Holly. Uh, Holly does a, a really awesome lecture called "Good Girls Aren't Funny," 
And what that means is that uh, the good girl is defined as sort of society's view on what a woman should be. Mm-hmm. So that's the um, that's like the gone with the wind type character. Mm. And uh, what is now becoming like if you look basically on the front of women's health magazines, that's the good girl. Like that's what it's easier to be because that's what society expects mm. of you. Mm. And therefore, because society expects you to be a certain way, you don't have to be truly you. Um, and she uses a great example. I hope it's okay, Holly, I'm using you. Um, but I, she uses a great example of how when she performed this one time, it was easier for her to give 60% because the person she was performing with was so good that he could give 150, but she could, instead of taking a risk and uh, maybe being funny, but not maybe not, mm. she just held it back and was safe as opposed to giving 150% and either and taking that risk. And so... Right. Uh, as a magician, especially a woman, I think it's easier to play that good girl role and be that sexy character as opposed to focusing on being you and busting through that good girl aspect mm-hmm. um, and and being a fantastic performer. Yeah. Um, so that's just one idea of how I, I tend to look at it, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. That's a that's a great way to encapsulate that whole idea. Thank you. Like and thank that. you, Holly. <laughs> thank you, Holly. <laughs> and thank you, Howie. Yes. <laughs> uh, so what does what does practice look like? We're great. talking about practice. What does practice look like for a magician? That's a great question. Practice, every question you've asked is a great question. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Practice for a magician looks a lot different every day. So it's often breaking, you know, you, it's creation, it's practice, it's performance, it's a lot of different aspects. So in terms of creating, um, like I'll take you sort of the process of, of yeah. through it, the process of one routine. Um, it first starts out with just a general idea. And sometimes that idea is sparked by another magician. Sometimes it's sparked by a song. I'm really influenced by music that I really like. And so for this one particular routine, I heard a song that uh, made sense to me. And I started seeing a routine in my head as the song was playing. And so then I just kept playing that song over and over again and creating this routine just in my brain of what it would look like. Um, And then comes the creation and the trial and error. And uh, this particular routine uses a lot of paper. So it's a lot of cutting paper. And this whole living room was just filled with scraps of paper. So that was fun. (laughs) That went over really well. Um, And so it's just a lot of trial and error and going through things. And then once you get things set and the choreography and the presentation and the script and the movement and the trickery and all of that together, uh, you have to practice everything individually and then put it all together into a routine and then practice that routine 300 times before you put it on a stage. And by 300, I mean, you know, as many times as you want. Um, But 300 is like the goal. Standard. It's not really, I don't have like a ticker going on being like, okay, and 27, go 28. Uh, No, you just have to practice a lot because magic, as we kind of said, is there's potential to reveal the parts of the, the performance you don't want to reveal. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the part that always takes the most practice. So we, magic is the only art form where we purposely try to hide the skill we've taken years to develop. Yeah. You know, so we're, everything that, take, that looks so hard and is so hard for us to do, you're never supposed to see. 
Right. Right. So it's this weird art form. It's like in, you know, in everything else, it's like a check out this really high kick this dancer can do or check out this really complicated run this saxophone player can do. Mm-hmm. Uh, in magic, it's like, look, nothing happened, but everything ever right. happened. Right. Those 300 practices go into what seemingly is nothing. Right. Um, so in a particular routine, you have to practice over and over again so that that doesn't happen and you don't get to reveal that secret skill mm-hmm. uh, and then you have to put it on stages and get it in front of audiences and and hope that it goes well and videotape and tweak and mm-hmm. um, it's a lot of tweaking and a lot of revamping and sometimes it's a lot of taking something and putting it in a notebook and putting it on a shelf and coming back to it many years later hoping that maybe it'll be good again yeah. uh, and sometimes it's a lot of this idea is absolutely horrible get rid of it yeah. uh, and then sometimes it's this worked really well let's keep it going and you continue to make it better and better and ideally it becomes a really good routine so that's sort of what it looks like yeah well it's similar to what an editor does so yeah. you see a finished movie and no one knows all the hours an editor put into that for sure <laughs> i mean you yep. know eight times the, the probably more than that yeah. the amount it took to film it yeah um but th- their b- greatest goal is to never be noticed which exactly. is similar but you guys have the payoff of being personally responsible for the outcome yeah whereas a director or an actor is personally quote unquote responsible for the outcome of a movie yeah definitely and i think um in editing too Although you don't actually see the face of the editor, like I can't, uh, I'm not a big fan of movies, which is a weird statement, but um, I I, or television really in general. But it's um, a little more offensive, but it's fine. I'm so sorry. Um, I think what you guys do is great, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) but I think that uh, you can still, like, if you know what's happening, you can be like, "Wow, that was a really amazing special effect." Mm -hmm. I don't know any famous editors. Like, I can't be like, "Oh, that was really good, Mm -hmm. Johnny." Like, I don't know, but. Um, I think I can still see the work that they're doing. Where in magic, like you have no idea that I just took your card and brought it from the middle of the pack where you put it mm-hmm. and brought it to the top. Like you have no idea that that happened, but I did it. It took me years to be able to do, right. but you know what I mean? Yeah. And so I think that it's still a little, like the difference there is really cool, but I do like being directly in front of people to see the impact. Mm-hmm. But like you said, editors don't really necessarily get to see that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, very, it's very similar in that aspect but it's cool to be able to see the payoff of all of your work Mm. right in front of your face yeah yeah for sure well speaking of payoff um we're coming towards the end here this is gonna be a great little final stretch all right uh so you may be a a young magician in your career but you've got a lot of accolades um already uh, so the number one, I'm sure it's been mentioned before, is David Copperfield gave you his stamp of approval. Oh, I thought you were going to say Highland Elementary School's favorite third grader. That well, was that was... I'm kidding. I didn't get that. That's not a, that's not a real thing. Yeah, I'm that's why kidding. I didn't mention it, because I looked into this. I talked to your principal. Oh. Uh, but so you so you got to... So David Copperfield gave you stamp of approval. Yeah. What does that mean? And then, B, when you got to meet him, tell me about his museum. I know I'm already tipping <laughs> my hat a little bit, but I want to make sure you talk about that's it. That's fine. It was amazing. No, it's cool. Um, it, it was a really awesome experience. I kind of applied to the competition. So NBC and Copperfield had a competition for uh, the quote-unquote search for the next great magician. Mm-hmm. Um, take that how you wish. And it was. I kind of applied on a whim with this routine I did with bottle caps. Uh, I used to. I was a bartender at the time. Um, and so I used to do a lot of magic with things behind the bar, uh, bottles, beer caps, straws, uh, martinis, olives. Uh, I've developed a whole act actually just from things with behind the bar. That's what I perform at the castle, which is really cool. Oh. And um, the bottle caps, I submitted them randomly. 
a friend of mine was also submitting something and I was like hey why not I happened to get a phone call a few days later that was like hey do you want to come I was living in Boston and it was hey do you want to come to New York and be on live national television so that was really cool <laughs> I cried a little because I was so happy um how'd your how'd your friend take that I mean <laughs> oh, he was he was super awesome. He's like a really, really amazing magician uh, that lives in Boston, and I just admire him so much. And so, ideally, he wasn't super jealous. I hope we never really talked about it, actually. Yeah, um, absolutely, he was. <laughs> Maybe he may have been a nice guy about it, but I love you so much, Evan. Evan, you're fantastic. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, that happens. Sorry. You know, uh, yeah, no, it was awesome. Uh, for me, anyway, I hope he's not that mad. <laughs> We're still friends, so ideally he's, yeah. like, not too bitter. Nah, he's all right. Love you. Um, and then I went, and it was great. David is just the nicest guy. He's so nice and so sweet, and I'm super thankful for everything he and his team have done for me. Um, and I, I won, which was really cool, because uh, the other two magicians that were in the competition are amazing. So it was really awesome for me, and especially in that point in my career where I was very weary of doing this and concerned, and uh, more than me or my parents, they were very concerned for my future uh, and, like, how was right. I going to pay for health care and right. <laughs> my bills? And so it was very concerning. And so this was a really big turning point uh, mentally for me and my parents in that, like, oh, I can actually do this. Uh, and so it was really important to me. So, yeah, I, uh, the prize was to be flown out to Vegas and see uh, the museum, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Uh, it's What's basically, uh, you don't have time. We don't have time. One thing. Okay, there was a magician, uh, Robert, who lived a very, very long, long time ago, and he invented uh, this trick where somebody balances on a broom or Mm. a pole. Oh, yeah. Right? Mm. And so he used to do it with his son, and that was the first time this effect was sort of ever done. And I got to hold the secret to the trick that he actually that he made that this Robert Houdin 18 like really old thing Mm. I was holding it and it was like his son wore this many many years ago and this was the first time this trick was ever done Mm. and I was just holding that secret in my hand and it was I teared a little again. <laughs> I cried a lot in this adventure. <laughs> Shoot, I never thought about that. That's okay. um, so that was that was amazing. There, there's a whole room of uh, automatron uh, things. You know. Uh, yeah. It was like amazing. Like Sobe's Pizza. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there's a whole room of ventriloquist equipment. <laughs> That's fine. I'm gonna keep going. I was just gonna go with it. Sorry. Right. You got it. Thank you. Um, it was amazing. And then there's a whole area of things that. Um, David has used like a cloud from his flying illusion and a whole rack of every shirt he's ever worn. It's random. Wow. Okay. But it's uh, he explained it great, which was every shirt he's ever worn is very detailed. Mm. But every stitch is exactly in the place that it needs to be. And if one stitch is out of place, something horrible could go wrong in an illusion. So it's very important that everything is exactly how it is. Seems like hyperbole, although I'm not a magician. But I, how could a okay. stitch make something go? Hor- people? You have no idea. All right. I'm gonna leave it at that. Right. <laughs> it's very, very detail oriented. Okay. Uh, yeah, it was amazing. It was an amazing experience, and I'm super thankful for that uh, adventure. Uh, and I also got to go back, which was really cool. Um, I filmed a very small segment on The Daily Show. What? With him. 
uh, um, with other magicians as well. Yeah. So that was awesome as to be able to go back to the museum and yeah. um, me and another magician produced David on the Daily Show, which was really cool. So it was just very silly, uh, but it was fun. And so now it's cool to know him and uh, I guess have him know me a little when we talked a lot about food, which was cool. Um, I don't really I don't know if he's if he super respects me as a magician and I don't care because <laughs> we sh- we broke bread and That's had chips together and that was all that matters to me. He's well, a really nice guy. Well, he gave you the thumbs up so that puts a rocket on your butt it. straight to the top. Yeah. Uh, well, so let's let's talk about where people can see you. Great. Promo time. What do you got? Promo time. Um you can head to my website, which is www.magicinheels.com. So that's magicinheels, like your shoes.com. And you can check out the latest news page, which will show you things I'm doing um, and shows that will be coming up that are public that you can see me at. Uh, otherwise, if you're interested in having me at your event, you can also visit that website and check out the uh, booking page, and it'll kind of give you a description of the shows that I'm doing, uh, the shows that I can offer, and then just uh, shoot me an email or phone call, and we can discuss what what's, would work best for your event. Uh, otherwise, if you heard this and just want to say hi, you can also visit magicandheels.com and go to the contact page. Shop. <laughs> yeah, everything is just in one place, which is great. Um, and you can uh, just shoot me an email and say, hey, loved your podcast or <laughs> not whatever you feel is best uh, so that's that <laughs> what about twitter facebook the standard social media stuff great um uh, you can also find links to my standard social media things at magicandheels.com see what i'm doing um, i see what you're doing there it's yeah you can uh, everything that's my social media is at kayla drescher which is too hard to spell so i just say go to magic and heels and click the buttons uh, it's the easiest option. That makes perfect sense. Great. Um, Kayla, thank you so much thank for taking you. all this time out. This has been great. That was so fun. I almost feel magical Good. just being in your presence. I'm so happy. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, the goal. <laughs> thank you. Uh, and thanks to everyone for listening. Have a good night.